Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into the latest edition of the Xander's Facts podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. It is Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. Thank you all so much for joining us on episode 126 of the podcast. It's a good one because we're talking about a topic we've talked about a few times before on this podcast, but I think it's really important to like nail this down because we're talking about, well, it can relate to a lot of things, climate which is an issue, cars, transportation, which is an issue. And when you combine that stuff, it's a mega issue. We are talking about electric vehicles again this week. And really, this week's a little different because we're focusing more on the negatives. We focused a lot on the positives, but there's two sides, really, of this argument, kind of. There's negative parts of electric vehicles right now, and there's positive aspects. And we're going to talk about both of those this week. On the podcast. Before we do, though, just wanted to remind you all that if you like the Xander's Facts podcast, if you think you're going to like all the facts on this week's edition, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 126, rate and review the podcast, check us out on all the socials Twitter, Threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends. We like to call it Spread the Facts around here, y'all. Make sure to tell all your friends about the podcast, the newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts, a recap of the week's top headlines that comes out every Sunday morning. Just in case you didn't know, you can sign up in this episode's description. And you can also check out the Xander's Facts link tree in this episode's description because it has all the Xander's Facts links that you need. Also, remember to listen to any of our past 125 episodes, like last week when I spent 70 minutes going off on the college football playoff. Y'all can go listen to that. But this week, we are talking about the challenges of electric vehicles in the United States. Because looking back on the podcast and the newsletter, Saner's Facts really has spent a lot of time advocating on behalf of electric vehicles. We've talked about them at least a couple times previously on this podcast. You can go listen to those. And while I maintain my view that they are absolutely a net positive for society compared to automobiles that feature a internal combustion engine, an ICE engine in them, which is a term I'm going to be using a lot in this podcast. I maintain that view, and you should probably take a look at the latest global warming numbers to back up my claim, because summer 2023 was the hottest on record. 2023 is on track to be the warmest year ever recorded, And there's a new research article from a month or two ago that shows that the world could cross the one and a half degree Celsius to 1.7 degree Fahrenheit warming threshold that we wanted to avoid this century under the Paris Agreement by the end of the decade. Uh Uh-oh. Which is a major problem. The consequences of this continued warming will be catastrophic. And while there aren't many things you and I as individuals, you know, personally can do. I like to advocate for the things that we personally can do as individuals. And one thing that I've always thought we can control was pollution emitting from our vehicles, which is why electric vehicles are a better option for the future than gas-powered vehicles. And I spent a lot of time advocating for that previously. But to give you the full picture, which is what I want to do, we've got to acknowledge 
the drawbacks that come from owning an electric vehicle. I've probably mentioned them here or there previously, but I want to spend basically a majority of this podcast talking about the drawbacks that come from electric vehicles, from the cost of them to the mechanics of charging them and everything in between. There's a reason, y'all, why there's still a lot of Americans who would prefer gas-powered cars for now. So this week, we're going to take a look at all the challenges that are facing electric vehicle adoption in the U.S. and the steps that are actually being taken to alleviate those concerns. So I'm going to give you the problems that we have, but I'm also going to give you how those problems are being addressed right now by both the government and the automotive industry, because they're actually doing a real good job with EV adoption. So let's get to the facts, y'all. Let's start with the issues that electric vehicles are facing right now. Well, there's plenty of issues facing electric vehicles, even beyond just charging them, which is in the title of this podcast. But luckily for me and all of you, I guess, the wonderful people at the EV Charging Summit published their 10 biggest challenges facing the EV industry today earlier this year in their EV industry blog. And I think it sums up the biggest issues pretty well. So let's take a look at those challenges and I'll expand on them a little bit. There's 10 of them. Number one. Tell me, tell me. The purchase cost. Because before we even get to charging electric vehicles, what about actually buying them? Because right now, electric vehicles are usually more expensive than a similar gasoline-powered vehicle. The main reason for that is because it costs more to make an EV because of the batteries required to be in them so that they can actually run because they don't have an internal combustion engine like gasoline-powered vehicles. Gathering the raw materials that are needed to create the batteries is expensive. And it could also be a long-term problem as well because these lithium batteries present a significant environmental hazard and even a human hazard as found by LifeWire in an article they published earlier this year because many of these batteries are made with cobalt, which is a mineral that is actually highly volatile and unsustainable to source. And many of the mines where cobalt is being mined are in Africa, specifically in the Congo, which are ripe with child labor accusations. There's also the issue of recycling the batteries when they're degraded. You can recycle these batteries like sometimes, but often they can become toxic and then they can't be recycled, which of course increase waste because we got to do something with them. And if we can't recycle them, we're just, you know, they're just going to sit there. But back to cost. It is cheaper to charge an EV than it is to pump gasoline into an ICE vehicle. That's common fact. But right now, ICE vehicles usually cost less up front. But that's also due to the tons of used ICE vehicles that are on the market right now. There aren't as many used EVs out there, and those that are usually have lower battery range due to previous use. That's another issue with the batteries there. And the EV charging summit also included this note about the operating cost comparison. They said, quote, According to the U.S. Department of Energy's National Renewable Energy Laboratory, NREL, and the Idaho National Laboratory, EVs save their owners between $4,500 and $12,000 in operating costs. The amount depends on where the driver lives, with Hawaii providing the lowest savings and California providing the highest, unquote. So, again, operating costs are lower, charging costs are lower, but the upfront cost right now is the big issue for a lot of people because 
you could just get a gasoline-powered vehicle, similar one, for cheaper, which for a lot of people, why would you not go cheaper? Number two, range anxiety. Now we get into the charging part of EVs, because when you've got a gas-powered car, you often don't have to worry about not getting to a gas station or having to wait a long time to fill up. Some people do, but that's because they are risky and want to see their gas light come on. But for most people, that's not an option because gas stations are like all over the place. And then when you get to one, usually they're, the pumps aren't full. And if they are, then it'll take two minutes for the people to leave because it usually doesn't take very long. But with an EV, range anxiety can be a real concern because it's noted, it's true, that the average American only drives about 36 miles per day, which is less, much less than the average range of an EV, which is about 200 to 300 miles. And that, of course, does depend on what you have running inside the cabin, like air conditioner, whatever, radio, how you're driving your vehicle, and the weather conditions outside. But when it's cold outside, your range drops. And when you're going for a road trip, finding a charger can be a hassle, which is going to be something we're going to touch on in another one of these issues. Number three limited selection. As I kind of mentioned earlier, though, there's still a limited selection of EVs on the road or in the dealership compared to ICE cars. Now, back in July, CNET actually reviewed every EV available in the U.S., saying there are just over 40 models for sale right now and ranked them by their advertised range. So coming at number one with a range of 516 miles, y'all, that's actually pretty good. The Lucid Air, which is over 100 miles more than the second place Model S from Tesla. But the 2023 Lucid Air, here's the catch, starts at a price point of over $87,000. And to get the Grand Touring model that actually gets that 516 miles of range, you'll have to drop $138,000. So, you know, that's the, uh, that's the drawback. Get that dough! And then at the bottom of the list... We've got the Mazda MX-30. Y'all, if you have this car, I'm sorry. Which is only available in California, actually. And it's only going to get you 100 miles on a single charge. That's that's a little rough. But I don't think it's getting bought very often. I don't think. Now, out of the 42 EV models that are available right now, you'll actually find some automakers you've probably heard of, you're probably familiar with, because they've made gasoline-powered cars before. I mean, on this list that CNET provides, you've got Audi, BMW, Cadillac, Chevy, Ford, Genesis, GMC, Hyundai, Jaguar, Kia, Mazda, Mercedes-Benz, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Subaru, Volkswagen, and Volvo. They all sell EVs right now alongside their ICE models. But there are some new entrants also in the marketplace that are focused solely on electric. You've heard of Tesla, but also Lucid, and Rivion is another one. And the options are undoubtedly going to grow just because a lot of these automakers are really starting into EVs and really transitioning. And then there's these new companies, too, that are coming in. So the options are, of course, going to grow over time, but right now... 42 is kind of minuscule to the over 1,000 available options you have for vehicles powered by gasoline. That gap is kind of, it's kind of wild, but it is going to close. Pretty sure of that. And another note on the price comparisons that I mentioned earlier, Ford, who I mentioned in that list, 
is now selling an electric version of their F-150, the F-150 Lightning. And the F-150 is one of, I mean, if one of, if not the most popular personal use vehicle in the U.S. And the Lightning version starts at just over $65,000. You can purchase a new ICE F-150 for under $40,000. Whoa. So again, that's the issue with cost right now. Number four on our 10 challenges, difficulty finding a technician. I feel like this one doesn't really get talked about when people are deciding whether to buy an EV or not. They're probably talking a lot more about those three issues before that, but difficulty finding a technician is an issue too. I noted that operating costs are much lower for EVs on average, but finding someone to work on your EV may be a bit of work in and of itself. The EV Charging Summit notes that it is usually cheaper to get your vehicle serviced by an independent maintenance and repair shop than at a dealership, but many independent shops and technicians aren't qualified to work on an EV beyond, like, the basics. Tires, brakes, etc. Stuff like that. Now, this isn't going to be as much of a burden as certifications for shops and technicians to work on EVs are going to continue to grow, and EVs also usually need less maintenance, But if you need to get something like your battery replaced, which can run you easily over five grand, then there's not probably, depending on where you live, not many places likely around you where you can get that done, which makes prices higher as well. And it doesn't help that one of the largest EV manufacturers, which is Tesla, has a reputation for, um, I'll just say, low quality maintenance and customer service. That doesn't help the reputation either. Number five, charging infrastructure. Back to charging. The infrastructure of charging stations across the country is not sufficient. If you have an EV right now, you are probably nodding your head like, yeah, I believe you. Even if you're driving one right now, listening to this podcast. Thankfully, there's a couple big fixes coming, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit when I talk about the solutions to these issues. But right now... There's about 56,000 charging stations across the United States, of which about 52,000 are available to the public. There's a bunch of different companies, too, that are providing EV charging. We've got Electrify America, ChargePoint, EVgo, and then, of course, you can't talk about Tesla. Tesla does some things wrong, like I just mentioned earlier, but they do some things really right. And their supercharger network is excellent. And then you also have apps like PlugShare and then the Tesla app, which can direct you to the stations that are near you. And then vehicles also have technology in them that can direct you to the nearest station on your route. But still, the locations of these chargers and the access to them is lacking. And it's not just public use we're talking about. Like if you've heard me on previous podcasts talk about electric vehicles, you hear me talk about one of the biggest advantages of them is that you can charge them at your home. You really can't do that with a gasoline-powered vehicle unless your home is a... unless you live at a gas station, I guess. But charging at home is still an issue as well because if you want to charge at your home, you need to install a charger that can connect to your vehicle in the garage or the driveway. But what if you don't have private parking? What if you don't have a garage or a driveway? What if you park on the street? Well, there's an article that just came out from Consumer Reports that was titled overcoming the challenges of owning an EV in a city that talks about the troubles people in urban areas like Brooklyn and Philadelphia have with owning EVs. Like, people who park on the street 
that's usually not your parking space, you know? And there's probably also the sidewalk or grass right there that's even public property. So installing a charging port right there is probably not an option. Now, it does work if you have a garage or a driveway and you're easily able to install one and connect it to your electricity grid in your home. But for some people, that doesn't work. And that's another issue with that, too. Number six, charging speeds. Connected to infrastructure is the speeds at which you can charge. Because right now, if you didn't know, there's three primary levels of EV chargers. We've got levels one, two, and three. Pretty simple. Level one is the slowest. It uses a standard 120-volt charging plug. Most residential chargers are level one, which can usually give a good charge overnight, but if you want to fully charge something, it'll usually take longer. And for extra large size batteries, it could take over 24 hours. Level two uses 240 volt plugs and SAEJ1772 connectors. I don't know if that's supposed to stand for something or not, but that's what it says. And it's the level that most public charging stations actually use, or usually a combination of level two and the faster level three is what most public charging stations use. So while level two chargers can fully charge some batteries in as little as three or four hours, they can also take as much as 12 hours on some batteries, which is not ideal. Three to four hours still is not ideal in public. And then there's level three, which uses a 480 volt direct current fast charger, direct current DC. And yet these chargers still can't charge as fast right now as someone can pump their gas into their car. But the technology continues to improve. Tesla's found that its Model S can gain 130 miles of range in only 15 minutes of DC charging. Porsche, which is also making electric vehicles, claims that it can provide up to 62 miles of range in only 5 minutes and get the battery of its Taycan model to 88% in just 23 minutes. Now, I mean, that's pretty good. Still not as good as pumping your car with gas in five minutes, but that's an improvement. It The technology keeps getting better. But the issue is that level three chargers are hard to find out in the wild. Most of the public charging right now is still level two, which is another infrastructure problem. These are facts. And then number seven, charger compatibility. There's this issue of compatibility because different automakers are using different chargers and different ports. At the level 2 level, most automakers are using the same, except for Tesla. Tesla owners usually need to use an adapter to charge at a non-Tesla supercharger. But at level 3, there's three different types of DC fast chargers used. There's the SAE Combined Charging System, CCS, which is most common actually, and it's used by most manufacturers. There's the, I don't even know, C-H-A-D-E-M-O type, which is used by Nissan and Mitsubishi. This is by far the least common of the three. And then there's the Tesla supercharger, which until recently has been solely for Tesla vehicles. But there's developments on that front, which I'm going to share in a minute. Number eight, grid capacity. There's the issue of how these chargers are actually getting their energy. Each of these new chargers that's coming online is connected to our wider electric grid, usually, unless they're powered by a solar panel with its own battery pack. 
I'd say probably 99% of them are not, though. And so most of them are now connected to the grid, which has shown several signs, I'd say, in recent years of not being very reliable and efficient. The Energy Institute at the University of Texas actually found that if each state converted all of its personal cars, trucks, and SUVs to plug-in electric vehicles, statewide energy consumption would increase from a range of 17%, like in Wyoming, to 55%, like in Maine. And most states don't have the energy capacity to meet that demand right now. Thankfully, that switch is not all coming at once. This is kind of a gradual switch that's going on right now. But again, you need to increase the capacity of the grid and hopefully not with non-renewable energy resources like fossil fuels, hopefully with things like solar panels and wind turbines and hydro dams and that type of renewable energy resources. But the U.S. Department of Energy also found that by 2050, electricity consumption is going to increase by a predicted 38% mainly due to increasing numbers of electric vehicles. Grid capacity is going to be another major issue as well. It's a fact. And number nine, charging station financing and ownership. There's also the cost issue of not just the EVs, but putting EV charging stations in in the first place. So while a level two charger can usually begin costing around $2,500, A DC fast charger can cost up to $36,000 on its own, and that's not including things like installation costs, connecting to utilities, or any other permits that you may need for installing that. That puts another damper on home charging as well with the upfront costs. So in connection with the infrastructure aspect, who pays for these chargers and who owns them is another situation we're dealing with. Although, thankfully, many businesses like Parking lots, garages, and shopping centers are realizing that installing EV chargers might be a good investment. Like I know Walmart is putting a lot of EV chargers in their parking lots, which you think is a good idea, right? Because people go shopping at Walmart for an hour and they can just leave their car charging while they shop. How about that? And then number 10, our final issue, charging price structures. Finally, we have how you pay for charging your electric vehicle because it's not free. It's cheaper than putting gas in your car, but it's not free. While the price for gas is always by the gallon in the U.S., basically wherever you go, that doesn't change. Although the prices change, but the way it's priced by the gallon, it doesn't change in the U.S. EV charging has several pricing structures, which can be confusing. So here's straight from what the EV charging summit said on how they describe the situation. Quote, utility regulators set consistent rates per KWH for home charging. KWH is kilowatts per hour. Public charging stations may include per session fees, per minute fees, or tiered pricing based on charging speed. EV drivers typically favor the per kilowatt per hour pricing structure, which seems closest to the per gallon pricing structure they're used to, Some states combine per kilowatt an hour pricing models with tiers based on charging speeds, unquote. So depending on where you go, how you're paying for your charge or how you're being charged can be different. And so that's another thing. If you're thinking about an electric vehicle, you have to think about. And so those are the 10 big issues facing electric vehicles right now that EV Charging Summit 
came up with. And so when we look at that list of issues, it's pretty extensive. And the problems mount at times because a lot of these issues stack up on top of each other when you own an electric vehicle and you're like, okay, well, how am I going to charge my EV today? Where am I going to go? Well, the place I'm trying to go, their chargers might not work. They're full because it takes forever to charge an electric vehicle. All these things, the cost, so much plays into an EV. And that's why adoption of them hasn't been quite as widespread. So those are the problems. What are we doing to fix the issues? What are the steps being taken to address them? Good question. And let's start off by acknowledging that the switch to EVs is happening just slowly, you know, because actually I'm doing this podcast on the perfect week because the White House actually just wrote a blog on this very issue on Monday. It's titled Full Charge, The Economics of Building a National EV Charging Network. It's by Heather Bushi, who is the co-founder of the Washington Center for Equitable Growth and is currently the chief economist for the Invest in America cabinet at the White House and is a member of President Biden's Council of Economic Advisors. But it founds that blog that transportation accounts for about a third of greenhouse gas emissions originating from the U.S., which is the largest from any sector. But in the third quarter of this year, EV and hybrid sales were about 18% of light-duty vehicle sales in the U.S., and 1 million fully electric vehicles have been sold this year in the States, which is a new record. And these numbers have showed a trend of climbing over the last several years. EV sales actually rose 50% in the third quarter of this year compared to 2022. That's a lot of numbers. And that's all good. The transition is moving slowly, which maybe when we look at the grid, maybe that's not such a bad thing. But again, there are several issues facing electric vehicles and their adoption rates. So here's what's transpiring in efforts to fix them. First, in terms of cost, the cost of EVs, as I mentioned, is probably going to continue to decrease. The International Council on Clean Transportation actually commissioned a study that found that EVs will be more affordable than ICE cars in 2032. So nine, well, almost eight years, but eight, nine years away. But one common measure that I'm going to mention on here is the Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed back in 2022 by Congress and then signed by the president. We've talked about it previously on this podcast. I wrote about it during at its one-year anniversary back in my newsletter back in August, Sanders Weekend Facts. Go check that out. But part of what is included in that bill is a $7,500 tax credit that can be claimed with the purchase of an electric vehicle. Now, there are restrictions on which vehicles are eligible. I think it pertains to whether part or all of it was manufactured in the U.S., but even a partial credit is something that's helping make EVs more affordable. But as I mentioned, alongside costs was the issue of the batteries. Building an EV creates more emissions than actually building a gas-powered car. Now, of course, that's offset, more than offset, by not producing basically any emissions out of your tailpipe afterward. There's no tailpipe in electric vehicle because you're not producing any emissions. But you've also got to think about the sources of energy you're getting when you plug into the grid. Now, the grid is a whole other issue, which I believe we've also discussed here on this podcast. But adding renewable energy sources like solar, wind, hydro, and geothermal is obviously going to help matters there. But again, 
In terms of the batteries, the environmental and the human tolls that mining cobalt for these batteries presents is a real concern. And right now, the human rights abuses that are possibly taking place at these mines, particularly in Africa, in the Congo, should absolutely be addressed by countries like ours who are benefiting off that. And there's really no solution at the moment right now in terms of the lithium batteries and that the environmental concerns making them produce, you know, but when your alternative is drilling oil and fracking and creating gasoline, which also takes electricity, I would add, I feel like there's a clear alternative there. But still, there are concerns environmentally with making these batteries for electric vehicles. But one option that's being worked on by several car companies, including Hyundai, Stellantis, Toyota, and Volkswagen, are, instead of lithium-ion batteries, solid-state batteries. The difference being the electrolyte that they use, which is a component in the electric vehicle. Now, in lithium-ion batteries, they have a gooey liquid electrolyte. Solid-state batteries have a solid, it's in the name, electrolyte. So if the liquid electrolyte battery gets broken or it gets punctured, the two sides of the electrolyte can actually ooze together, which is not good. It could possibly result in an uncontrolled energy flow, which then causes a fire. You've seen electric vehicle fires. That's why. That's a big issue. But that really can't happen with a solid-state battery. But companies are having trouble developing these solid-state batteries so that they can charge at a quick rate and they can be mass-produced in a way that makes them available at an affordable price point to consumers. And also, range, of course, is what they're looking at. So it's a possible option, but probably not for a few years down the road, which has been said about solid-state batteries for years now. So when it finally happens, we'll see. It may take a decade-plus for them to actually get out fully into the market. So now there's even alternatives to electric vehicles being produced. Like one option I saw was hydrogen. I saw that from that LifeWire article I mentioned earlier. But that article does note that it comes with similar challenges, like one of them being you need to build out a distribution network that can reach many people, like gas stations. But for hydrogen, although refueling only takes about four minutes and it only produces water as waste. So those are positives, but again you need to build this massive network across the country for it to actually work and take off so that people don't get range anxiety because that's a real issue. But hydrogen is also less energy dense than gas, like a battery. So you actually need to carry more of it to have a similar range. It needs to be stored at a high pressure, which causes a little bit of an issue as well with the technology we have right now. Cars powered by hydrogen fuel cells They sound intriguing, and they also may be an option down the road, but not in the present day. So the batteries, the lithium-ion batteries, they have the issues, but that's what we have right now. Now, there's other options that are coming. Hopefully, they're coming, but right now, that's what we have. But in terms of range anxiety that I just mentioned earlier, the average range of EVs has absolutely increased as the years have gone by, and it's going to continue to do so because the International Energy Agency's data shows that back in 2010, the average range of electric vehicles was just 80 miles. That was 13 years ago. 2016, seven years ago, it was about 150. And now, it's about 220 miles. It's the truth. So the Lucid Air I previously mentioned 
is one of a few EV models that has a range of 500 miles. So that's way above the average. That rivals some of the most fuel-efficient ICE models, by the way. And that will only become the norm as the years go on, because cost is going to decline as well, so more people are going to buy, production's going to increase, and the competition's going to get more aggressive. And also, just like it has, the technology's going to keep getting better. So that'll mean less cars like that Mazda one with 100 miles, and more like the Lucid with 500. And so competition, production, more people are going to want to buy, so that Lucid hopefully will not cost over $100,000 anymore. It will be much cheaper. And there's a few automakers, including General Motors and Volkswagen, that are hyping up another battery alternative from lithium-ion. They're working on lithium-metal batteries, which are supposedly going to increase range and lower the cost of EVs. GM is actually beginning production on vehicles that include them this year, and says that its vehicles will be able to last 500 to 600 miles on a single charge and achieve an 80% charge in less than 15 minutes. So for the range and for the charge, that's 80% in 15 minutes is still not as good as gas-powered, but it's a massive improvement over where we've been. And it's just going to keep getting better, y'all. The free market at work, how about that? Like, one thing I will note about this is that traditional automakers are going all in on EV because they know it's the future. Fossil fuels aren't going to be around forever, y'all. So while you have these new companies like Tesla and Rivian that are only making EVs, you now have traditional car companies, some with over 100 years of experience, now getting into the EV game and wanting to make an impact. And when I say all in, I mean that many car companies have already announced dates in the future for when they hope to be selling only electric vehicles, when they don't hope to be selling any more new ICE vehicles. These start at 2025 with Jaguar, who's replacing all of their ICE vehicles with three electric vehicle models beginning in 2025. And then they continue up to decades in the future, like Alfa Romeo has a set date of 2027, followed by Chrysler in 2028, and then there's a bunch in 2030, Aston Martin, Buick, Cadillac, Genesis, Lexus, Maserati, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Rolls-Royce, and Volvo. They've all claimed that they will be all electric in 2030. Audi follows in 2033, Chevy and GMC in 2035, and then Acura and Honda in 2040, and many other companies that I didn't even note are also transitioning their fleet of vehicles. They just haven't committed to fully electric vehicles in some sort of time frame, but they've committed to at least a significant percentage of their fleet being EVs. And so that limited selection that we have now is soon going to be a thing of the past. And of course, as more EVs go on the road, you're going to have more repair shops and technicians who begin to specialize in EVs because those are going to become a majority of the vehicles that are on the road. So that helps that issue as well. And now we come back to charging. Charging infrastructure. Now, it's actually been shown as the main hesitancy for people in studies and surveys who are thinking about their next car purchase. Like, am I going to be able to, first off, are there any charging stations near me? Am I going to be able to actually use them? Are they going to be broken? Are they going to be full? If I can't charge at home, and again, charging at home is pretty slow. You can do it, but again, if you're out and about every day, you can't get a full charge. And so there's another bill that passed through Congress and was signed by the president that I want to bring up. The 2021 
Infrastructure and Jobs Act. That's another bill that the Biden administration has enacted in the last few years, which, unlike the IRA, which is only passed by Democrats, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act was passed with a bipartisan majority, with both Democrats and Republicans. And that's promised $7.5 billion to go towards EV charging. The goal is to build a network of 500,000 public level 2 and level 3 chargers across the country by 2030, so in 6-7 years from now. As detailed in that White House blog post I mentioned earlier, $5 billion of that $7.5 billion is going to go towards building what they call a backbone, in quotes, for a high-speed charging network where high-speed chargers are not spaced more than 50 miles away from each other on highways, which would be nice. And then the remaining $2.5 billion will go towards grants for states and localities to provide access to charging themselves. And in the aforementioned Inflation Reduction Act, there's also a tax credit you can claim if you're an individual or you're a business or you own a business to install an EV charger as well. And just on Monday... I read an article that the first EV charging station that was funded by the Infrastructure Act began operating this week in Ohio. So how about that, y'all? Already, your tax dollars at work. Are you sure? But I also wanted to read you the politics of this issue from the last paragraph of a Reuters article that was reporting on the opening of that charging station from Monday. Just a little glimpse into the politics of charging and electric vehicles and emissions and all that. Quote, last week, the Republican-led House of Representatives voted to bar the Biden administration from moving forward with stringent vehicle emissions regulations that would result in 67% of new vehicles being electric by 2032, a move that drew a veto threat from the White House. And quote, just wanted to read you all that, making sure you all know where the sides are on in regards to EV adoptions and emissions and, you know, all that stuff. And the Infrastructure Act also helps with the issue of grid capacity, which we mentioned earlier, because the law includes investments to improve the grid and add capacity from renewable energy sources, like the $1.3 billion that was apportioned earlier this year to three transmission lines that will cross six states and add three and a half gigawatts of additional capacity into the grid across the U.S., which isn't too insignificant when you consider that, according to CNBC earlier this year, about there's about 1,250 gigawatts of power that's currently the installed capacity of the grid, and then there's currently about 2,000 gigawatts of energy capacity that's waiting to be connected. So in terms of that, the Infrastructure Act is helping with the grid too. And finally, let's talk about charging compatibility. The lack of a uniform charging port for the industry in recent years has been a real burden, but things are also changing in the right direction because earlier this year, a bunch of automakers announced that they would be switching from the combined charging system, CCS, to the North American charging standard, which is NACS for new vehicles, which is the one that Tesla uses. Now, starting next year, owners of electric vehicles from many of these automakers are going to be able to charge their current vehicles at 12,000 of the Tesla supercharger locations, which isn't all of the superchargers because some of them aren't equipped to handle CCS and the adapters they need. But it is a lot of them, but you need an adapter if you have a CCS plug on your car. Among the companies who have said that they're going to allow charging on the Tesla network 
and are also switching their future vehicles to the NACS port are, there's a bunch of them here, Ford, GM, Rivian, Volvo, Polestar, Mercedes, Nissan, Fisker, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, Hyundai, Kia, BMW, Toyota, and Lexus. And that's a step in the right direction because NACS is almost inarguably, I think, a superior charging port. And the more companies that adopt it, I think it's going to be the better for everyone. Of course, that could also present present complications at already existing charging stations that don't support NACS for future vehicles, you know, and for Teslas, because they already have to use an adapter for those. But hopefully, the funding in the Infrastructure Act can address that for both existing stations and new builds. Oh, and there's also this company I wanted to mention in California called Ample, which is testing out battery swapping, meaning you could just replace the battery that's in your EV with a fully charged one from a station in like just a few minutes. Apparently they've said they can get it done in five minutes. Like it's a work in progress for now, but the vision is there, but it'll take a while to maybe see that happen. But that's another alternative that could happen is instead of charging, you just swap out a battery, which is kind of interesting. Huh? So those are the issues. Those are the solutions. I feel like it's important to look at both the positives and negatives of EVs, because there's certainly some negatives when you look at EVs right now. And at the moment, they aren't for everybody. But it's important to point out that the industry and the government are actively working on solutions right now, as I just mentioned. And with the biggest issues with EVs, range, charging stations, their locations, and cost, hopefully, those are soon going to be things of the past. Because here at Zaner's Facts, you know what, y'all? We're all about making sure you're informed with the facts on the big issues. And I feel like that includes whether or not to purchase an electric vehicle. Because as I mentioned at the top, I want to focus on the things that we can actually control. When we talk about, you know, climate change and how we want to lower our emissions, well, most of that is with the big companies who are polluting tons and tons of emissions and carbon dioxide every single day. We as individuals can't do that much, but considering the transportation sector, as mentioned earlier, takes up about a third of the emissions that the U.S. produces each year, electric vehicles are something that when an individual does it, it's good. When a group does it, it's great. And when a community adopts it and it becomes widespread, well, that's the ultimate goal. And that's what you really have to do with things that are really in your control in regards to climate change and emissions. Things like, oh, well, if I recycle this bottle or I compost or I buy an electric vehicle, that's not really going to do much on its own. But if people keep those habits up and it spreads, then that can actually cause some change, which is the big thing I really want to emphasize right now on this podcast. Because I know right now, It may make sense for some people to get an electric vehicle, and it won't for others. Like, I keep preaching on electric vehicles. I don't own an electric vehicle. I drive a gas-powered car. But the amount of people that it is going to make sense for is only going to keep increasing. And I feel like that's an exciting thing as we go forward, because we kind of really need to do all we can to kind of chill out on the emissions, because global warming, climate change... It's not a hoax, y'all. It's a real deal. 
So those are all the facts I had for this week's podcast, y'all. Just wanted to talk about electric vehicles, really focus on the negatives, and really talk about the solutions that we have to the issues with electric vehicles right now. Because there's a reason why their adoption is not widespread right now. A lot of people have a lot of issues with them. I just mentioned them. Cost, range, charging stations, can I charge at home? All of that stuff. But as I just showed you, technology is getting better investment is increasing. These issues are going to become a thing of the past. It may take some time, but gradually it's going to get better, y'all. It is. Trust me. Those are facts. Xander's facts. So those are all the facts I have for y'all this week on episode 126. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember that if you liked all the facts that were on this week's edition of the podcast, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, rate and review the podcast. Check us out on all the socials, Twitter, Threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Xander's Facts, at Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell your friends. Spread the facts, y'all. Tell all your friends about the podcast. Make sure you know about the newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts, Xander's Facts on YouTube. Oh, by the way, y'all, very big announcement. If you're listening to this Wednesday, the day this podcast comes out before 3 p.m., I am going live on YouTube on Wednesday, the 13th, at 3 p.m. with my buddy, Xander's Facts soccer analyst, Emma Adams. We are going to be reacting live to the final match day of the group stage of the UEFA Champions League. It's the first, it's kind of like a test because it's the first time we've ever done this. I have no clue what's going to happen, but I think it's going to be fun. And so we're going to try it out. So you can also, if you're listening after, you can go watch the replay of that on YouTube. So go check that out, y'all. Hopefully it didn't, screw up big time and there is a replay that you can actually watch i don't know we'll see it'll be fun it'll be an interesting experiment that'll happen wednesday 3 p.m eastern if you're listening to this before that bookmark that and check us out on youtube subscribe to the youtube channel and also check out the xander's facts link tree because it has all the xander's facts links that you need so y'all thanks for listening again to episode 126 electric vehicle galore Episode 127 is coming up next week with some new facts, of course, because every week we've got new facts. Episode 127 is going to have some new facts. Check that out next week because we've got a new episode on Wednesday, like we usually do. Sometimes it's a flashback, but next week we're going to have a brand new episode, brand new facts. So that is it, y'all. That is a wrap on episode 126 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. And we'll see y'all with episode 127 next week. I love big leaf maples. I do too. Oh, this feels so good.